It's the Breakout! Breakout! The Pop Breakdown! Breakout! Breakout! Listen to the show! Because you're in for the Pop Breakdown! Modern Day Warriors, Analog Kids, Blacksmiths, Artists, Philosophers, and Plowmen, and welcome to Podwork Angels, The Rush Hour. This, of course, is a podcast dedicated to the rock band Rush. My name is Justin Mancini. I am one of your co-hosts here. I'm also the co-host of the Cinema Joes podcast, and joining me, as always, uh, another one of my fellow hosts on the Cinema Joes podcast, Noah France. Hello, Noah. Hey, Justin. Ready hey, good to, to be rush into this thing here? Well, I, I hope not. I hope we take our sweet, delicate time <laughs> with this. Um, and uh, joining us for that, of course, is our third co-host, the host of the Talking Dakota podcast, Luke Martin. Welcome, Luke. Yeah. Hey, everyone. <laughs> What's up? Oh, man. That's my favorite. I love whenever Getty does that. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I love, the, I love all the, the rap, the sick raps on the Rush albums. Yeah, well, you know, roll the bones, uh, which we'll get to eventually. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was definitely something. <laughs> uh, I forgot about that. But uh, we actually will not be talking about roll the bones, at least on this episode. We'll have to wait until we get there. Um, join us in another century for that. But for now, we're <laughs> going to be talking about the early days of Rush and specifically talking about Caress of Steel, the third album from Rush in 1975. Believe it or not, this came out the same year as Fly By Night, albeit later in the year. Um, so they were very busy boys, our three favorite sons from Canada. Um, just a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a prologue about uh, this album. At this point, Rush had really been touring extensively, um, opening for different bands. Uh, especially Kiss. That was the big one. I don't know if we've mentioned them before on the podcast. I think we may have. Um, but they really had been touring with them a lot. They had a lot of fun times with that band. <laughs> uh, it sounds like they got into some uh, some goofs uh, along the way. But yeah, definitely two bands, Rush and Kiss, that I never would have imagined you know, would have anything in common. <laughs> but uh, apparently they had a lot of fun times. And uh, yeah, so at this point, Rush had been writing a lot of their music on the road. That was where they wrote most of this album. And um, it was a very ambitious album for the time. I know the guys talked about being very proud of it at the time, like once they finished it. Over time, this has become, I think you would say, maybe the black sheep of the Rush discography. It's not necessarily been one that is talked about as one of their best. However, there does seem to be a little more appreciation over the years. Um, but the fact is, at the time, it was a huge flop, both commercially and critically. Um, they weren't doing so hot with the critics already, and this really did not help Wasn't, matters. Didn't Fly By Night also fall short of what they're... I think we talked about that in the last episode. It did, not to the extent of this album, though. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that hurts twice in one year. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course this ended up resulting in the subsequent tour, which the band members would later dub the Down the Tubes Tour, 
because um, <laughs> things are not looking great um and uh you know we'll get to the album that that followed this but yeah this is uh i'm really interested to hear from you guys what you think about caress of steel because of its reputation and also because i genuinely have no idea what either of you think of this album i thought it was fine i definitely um I mean, of course, I, I come into, uh, unlike our um, the show we did on Genesis, right, you know, it had a, a whole bunch of background information in it, every album. I kind of, I, I can kind of come into every Rush album with sort of a clean slate. Like, I don't have any preconceptions of where the band was when they wrote, wrote the, that album. Um, I like this one fine. It was, I don't, it, it I don't know if it would make any, like, a, a favorite album list of mine. Um, but I didn't think it was bad at all, so... It's kind of weird now to hear that both Fly By Night and this album were kind of received by kind of lukewarm by critics and audiences. I find that kind of, I mean, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they were they were a bit too adventurous for audiences at the time. But well, you know what's funny is I was aware that this album was a kind of like a flop and sort of um, their career was kind of on the ropes after they recorded this and did the subsequent tour. And it's funny because I was going into this re-listen expecting to be like, nah, all those people didn't know. They didn't know about this album. They didn't get it, you know, because I remember actually liking this album, like to the point where I own a Caress of Steel T-shirt. Like that's one of my my Rush shirts because I. Wow. I, yeah, like in high school, I, I remember really liking this album. But then on the re-listen, I kind of went back to like the sort of generally accepted perspective on this album which is like you know this is like not very good and like the word that kept as a whole i mean there are individual moments still but the word that kept popping into my head as i was listening to it was incoherent i feel like especially the longer songs on the album are they don't like each individual section might be good and might be like the the cell or a nugget of a larger idea, but just the way that it comes it I should I shouldn't say the way that it comes together because for me it doesn't really come together. It's just kind of like it it's like fragment these like little fragments of something that could be a larger thing that are just kind of like thrown together, and so like because of that. Um, Weirdly, like some of the shorter songs like stand out more favorably to me um, just because there's less, uh, you know, there's there's sort of like less room to like go off the rails, I guess. Um, but the other thing that stood out to me is that you can definitely hear, you know, the band moving in the direction of 2112. Like I'm sure that at the time, 2112 not having been written yet and that album not recorded, people were probably like, what is this like where is this going but it's just funny like having that that perspective of like looking at it in retrospect knowing what came next it's it's like a very logical transition to me and i do think that this album has an important place and is an important like inflection point in the band's career but again listening to it just musically it does kind of fall short for me Hmm, interesting yeah, I mean, I can hear what you're saying, Luke, uh, certainly in terms of the coherence. I guess for me, this album is one that I generally do like. Um, I don't know if I'd say it's one of my favorites, but it has 
just like some really awesome moments that really stick out for me. And I think it could be easy to look at that and say, oh, that means that this is a great album. But then you have to consider everything else. (laughs) So I think you can kind of fool yourself. And I think, you know, it's interesting your experience, because I felt like at a time before that this was like maybe one of my favorites and listening to it again, I'm like, well, I still like a lot of it. I think there's some great moments. I think I like it overall but it maybe didn't hold the same place in my memory. It changed. It definitely changed, uh, you know, um, compared to my memory of it. Um, I have to admit. And as, and I was kind of like, it's almost like I didn't want to admit it even on this re-listen of like, but this is like, everyone thinks it's bad, but it's secretly great. And I'm like, well, I don't know if it's great. <laughs> like I have to, you know, let's give a little bit of nuance here. It can be, there could be in-betweens. Um, so yeah, it's, it was an interesting, I actually listened to this one a couple of times, um, just to kind of iron out how I felt about it. Um, I guess like, I feel like I still have such an, an, an affinity for it because even when it's doing things that don't quite work, I still think it's like really ambitious and, and trying something new. And also I don't think it's a boring album, um, you know, like, com- say what you will about, um, you know, about the things that don't work <laughs> with Rush or with any band. But I think this is an example of something that can be I think it's always fascinating, even when it doesn't quite work. And I think that's why I still have, like, you know, an affection for it, even when it doesn't quite work. But overall, I think this is this definitely does not deserve the hate that it got at the time, um, in my opinion. But it definitely is maybe not the uh, definitely maybe uh, it's not the flop that I or sorry, not the yes, secret masterpiece that some Rush fans have alleged at the same time for me. So, yeah, I still but I still like it overall. I still like this is still a high. I still I actually like this better than the first album. <laughs> so, um, you know, really? Yeah. OK. Again, overall. Yes, I would say I like this better than the first album. So I so mean, yes, if, if you also consider, you know, just to sort of further contextualize the critical reception at the time, Rush's biggest hits up until this point are Working Man and Fly By Night, which Working Man, you know, is a little bit longer, what they called like a bathroom song or whatever, because it gave the DJs time to use a bathroom. Why but they... like, Wait, was yeah. that why? Yeah, because it gave the DJs time to time to take a piss. But um, but I can I again like just knowing that those were the songs that performed the best commercially thus far in their career. I could definitely understand people at the time looking at this album and just going like, "What the fuck? Like, what is this like twenty minute song? You know, at the end of the album, you know." So it makes sense to me, the disdain, even though I personally feel a little differently. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right, so let's get into it. Let's start with our first section uh, where, as we go through four different categories of, uh, of songs on this album. So we're going to start with uh, putting a song in the limelight. This is where we talk about a song that we like, uh, that we maybe think is underrated, uh, but it really could be anything that we like. So I'll start with you, Noah. What was your uh, what song would you like to put in the limelight? I went with the Necromancer. 
I really liked it. I thought it was a great long form uh, prog rock song. It has um, so I'm going to be talking. I'm going to bring bringing up the song again later for another segment. Mm. Um, yeah, that was the, it. Was the one that stuck out uh, to me the most and made the biggest impression on me out of everything in the album. I thought it was a bit more impressive and a bit more um, tightly controlled than Lambeth, which is you know the the big track from the album. Um, and it was, but and but it was also more impressive and just had more going on. Partly because it was longer than the first three tracks, uh, which are all more more standard rock song length. They're all like three to three and a half to four and a half minutes. Yeah, I'll definitely be talking about that song a little bit later as well. Um, it's it's one that I think it was the one that really stood out to me the first time I listened to this album, and I was like, wow, I didn't know this kind of song was on. Like I. I think I'd associated this song with, you know, I think I'm going bald <laughs> more than any other song, which is a weird because I just remember that being the one that people would talk about. And then I heard that. I'm like, wow, this is a, like such a change <laughs> from from that, even just in terms of subject matter. Um, yeah, it's it's one that I really love. It might be my favorite on the album, honestly, but uh, there's going to be another song that I talk about when I wait get the necromancer it. or going bald. Oh, uh, the necromancer. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So is that also <laughs> your pick? It's not. I'm going to actually try to give a little bit of love to The Fountain of Lamneth. I feel like this song maybe encapsulates the album for me. Like it is it is very <laughs> ambitious. It has very, uh, you know, interesting song structure. The sections maybe don't quite work as well right next to one another. It maybe doesn't cohere. But the individual sections I love so much. Do I like certain sections better than others? Probably. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely one of the, the sections that sticks out for me is um, section three, no one at the bridge, which I find to be really atmospheric, like and and what Neil is doing in that section, especially I find really fascinating. The double um, symbol tap is just like it just feels iconic when it when you hear it. Um, and it just like I think speaks to the amount of control that they had as a band um, musically and in terms of production. Um, you know, and, and in the midst of this longer song at the same time. I also really love um, the Section 5, the Bacchus Plateau. Um, it's interesting they went with, they make allusion to Bacchus here because they'll make an allusion to his Greek counterpart later in their discography, um, which I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, but this ha- this is a really interesting section that almost like feels like um, like a like you're giving a toast or something like, you know, they there's a draw another goblet from the cask of 43. Like there's a, it's a very strange, like to go from, I think the previous section, which I believe was panacea to this feels really interesting, but I love the guitar solo in that section. I just feel like that's what Alex is doing. Just pure joy. Um, There's just a tightness to everything. Like I, I just, I just can't help but admire it musically even if I do think that maybe some of the sections work a little bit better than others, I still think this is one I enjoy listening to every time and say what you will about it. I don't think it's like, like the album itself. I don't think it's ever boring. I think it's just, um, you know, it's a little bit clunky, (laughs) but I think if you can sort of step back and look at what they were able to achieve at this point in their career, I think it's still a song that, that holds up for the most part. And one that I, I just really enjoy it every time. I got. I have to double the love for uh, to ditto that we're the to add to 
I can't talk today. To add to the love that Justin's expressing for um, Alex on guitar, in general, I think all the from from start to finish, the instrumental sections on all the songs are really solid. Um, I don't think there were any like instrumental solos or passages that like fell flat for me. So this is, I think that that's part of the reason why uh, I don't think this is a bad album at all, and I would not, I, I would not want to dunk on on any on on uh, the album as a whole. So how about for you, Luke? What uh, which song would you like to put in the limelight? Well, going off of my uh, my beef with this album that it is incoherent, I went with the song that I believe is the tightest on the album, which is Bastille Day for me, because I mean, much like Working Man or Fly By Night, <laughs> just that opening that opening riff is like so sick, and it's just like mm-hmm. such a great. It's such a great rock like intro, you know, and like I feel like I feel like uh, like I feel like that Bastille Day is early Rush doing what early Rush does best, which is like there's this dope like heavy guitar riff. There's like, you know, intricate drumming parts. And then the lyrics are about some like absurd historical thing that is just like totally random, you know. Like, I'm currently I know, listening I, like, to Mike Duncan's History of the French Revolution podcast, and I can second that. The Bast- Bastille, everything about the Bastille is absurd. <laughs> right, and it's just <laughs> so like, it I feel like, well, but absurd is a good word for it, because I feel like, like, Getty's voice on that song is absurd. I mean, like, the opening line, like, <laughs> that no friend! It's like, whoa, dude, like, oh, whoa. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, it's just, it's, it comes in so strong, but just, like, given what it is and, like, what the subject matter of the song is, I'm like, you know what, weirdly, I feel like this kind of fits, <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of down for this. If I'm listening to a rock song about the French Revolution, I kind of want a little bit of a, ah, you know, so. Put the song on, the dogs in the neighborhood start barking. Pretty much, yeah. And it's complete with, like, a... a like a slow down sort of reprise section at the end where they like cut the tempo in half, whatever. And it becomes like this, like almost like marchy type thing for the last 20 seconds. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. It's like, I just like, I was like, Oh, like what a great, like I almost want that just that section to be like a reprise at the end of the album. Mm-hmm. But, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, either way, I, yeah, this is definitely, it's definitely the most well-rounded tight knit, coherent song for me yeah and i think it says something that this that the steel day is the one song on this album that really retained um appearances in their set lists from here on out like this is one that they would continue to play pretty much you know even later into their career um yeah i i love it i mean i think it's uh it reminds me I, I mean, I know if you guys have heard this whole there's kind of a debate about whether Rush was metal or not, um, which at the end of the day, I'm not sure I care too much about it because it's good, whatever it is. Like the music is the music and it exists. Um, but I can actually hear the influence on subsequent metal bands. This one actually reminds me a lot of Judas Priest for some reason. I think it's like it almost mm-hmm. like even though it's Alex playing the guitar parts, there's it sounds like a double guitar part and it has this kind of like uh this driving gallop to it 
which reminds me a lot of like the double guitars in in Judas Priest. And yes, for any astute listeners, I recognize that Judas Priest technically started around the same time as Rush, but they really didn't become more metal until the late 70s. So it's possible they were influenced by this. Just saying. Anyway, um, and just to to mention the uh, to. A reference to the, the section that you mentioned, the last part where it turns into this kind of like regal march um, that you're not like I know uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater, which was heavily influenced by Rush. They you know are huge Rush fans, but he's talked about that section as being one that really stuck out to him. And actually, it was the source of their first name, which was Majesty, because he described that section as majestic, which is like. Such a freaking music nerdy thing to say and like reason <laughs> to have for your for the name of your band. Um, but yeah, there was so there was a time before they were Dream Theater where they were called Majesty because they liked that section and Mike Portnoy <laughs> described it as majestic. So yeah, I always think of that anytime I hear that part of the song. Well, I also just wanna I wanna highlight something you said because I I feel I noticed this in my my study of musicology, which, as you both know, I'm I'm finishing up now. But um, I do feel like people get a little too into like labeling stuff and how do we categorize music and categorize. Yeah. Music. So I just wanted to say that I really appreciate that you what you said, like the music is what it is and it exists. And like just the musicologist <laughs> yeah. in my brain was like, yeah, we don't need categories. To have to, to yeah, have no, music have meaning for people, you know. So. Yeah, no, I mean any any type of category is always and it's it's the same, you know, music, film, literature, whatever it is, it's all there's always a level of arbitrariness to it, you know. And it doesn't matter where you try to draw the line, there's gonna be something that's gonna straddle where, wherever the line is. It doesn't matter where you put it. So, you know. So with with that, should we put more songs into categories <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's why not <laughs> yes um yeah so we're gonna now talk about the songs that we handle with kid gloves uh maybe songs we don't like as much um i think maybe i'll start with you luke on this one where did you want to uh what song are you gonna handle with kid gloves i'm i'm going with uh Again, continuing my uh, coherence theme, I'm going with the song that I felt was the least coherent, which to me was the Necromancer. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I picked Shots this one. fired. Oh, come on. I picked this one because, <laughs> because I mean, Lamneth is, is significantly longer, but I feel like Lamneth has more peaks and valleys than Necromancer for me. Like, I don't know. I just I came away from listening to Necromancer. I was like, that was a 12 minute song, and it didn't really like. There was no like one part of it that I could remember afterwards and be like, that was like, just like for me, like there was nothing that really resonated or struck a chord in the way that parts of Lamneth do, which I'll mm. elaborate more on later. But um, yeah, I guess I, I want to go with that one because you know, I mean. I feel like that's the song that disappoints me the most on the album. Cause like, I mean, if you have a song like that, if you, if you see a song called, I think I'm going bald in the track list, I mean, you just check your expectations at the door right there. <laughs> like that's, I mean, you already know what's, you already know what that's going to be, you know, whereas Necromancer, it's like, and that's not to say that I don't, it's not even that I strongly dislike Necromancer. Like I do like, 
some of it, but like, yeah, it's just the it's the most disappointing, the the most all over the place to my ear. Yeah, I mean, like listening to it again, it definitely has three very distinctive parts, which of course are the yeah, I recognize are the sections of the song, but they do feel very mm. distinctive from one another. I mean, the appearance of Bytor at the end is like quite a change um, <laughs> after Under the Shadow, and um, and also like talk about retconning because all of a sudden Bytor is like a good guy. Like what? (laughs) 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 We remember from the previous album. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And he's the one who plays the, you know, the necromancer at the end, but the necromancer still lives. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's literally what necromancy is. So (laughs) sure. Yeah. I guess he can revive himself. Why not? Um, Yeah. There's, um, I, 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 I mean, I'm a big fan of this song. Like, I'm, there are definitely memorable sections about it for me, which I'll get into later. Um, but I also just love the whole thing of the, like, the narration, which sounds, like, very tongue-in-cheek to me. You know, it has this kind of, like, low, like, like modulated voice <laughs> doing it. Like, it sounds like... I don't know, almost like you, you're watching TV late at night and there's like some obscure documentary or something that you're watching. Like, that's what it sounds like to me. I was I was listening to it and I was like, Barry White, is that you? What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then the three men of Willowdale that are in the that are in the lyrics I and mean, Willowdale is where, you know, at least um, Getty and Alex were from Willowdale, suburb of Toronto. So that should show you that, like, you know, this did not take themselves too seriously with this. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's still, I still, I still love it. I mean, it's just again, it's a, it's for me, it's just many memorable sections. The I remember the drumming in it very distinctively. Some great um, instrumental parts as well. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna go next uh, and talk about a song that I, for me, it was between two. Um, you mentioned one of them, and actually I've mentioned it now that I think about it. Uh, I think I'm going bald was definitely under heavy consideration for this. Uh, <laughs> but I'm actually going to go with Lakeside Park, a song that I think I said earlier that there's no like that I didn't find this album boring. Maybe that song is where it gets boring for me. So I might have misspoke before. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say, I the first time I, I remember hearing this the first time and I remember thinking, is this a joke? Like, this can't be an actual song on the album. Like, this can't, like, they couldn't have approved this, played it, you know, written it in the first place. Um, and I don't think I hate it as much as that on subsequent listens, but it just feels like it, I don't know, it just really, even after I think I'm going bald, which at least has some, like, more driving parts to it, this just feels like such a downer. It's just so, you know, uh, it's just so subdued. In a, in a way that just and I think the subject matter is like so uninteresting to me, not not or at least it could be interesting. And I actually feel there's a song later in their career which feels nostalgic, but is so much more interesting, um, which I'll probably talk about later. Um, but to me, this feels like nostalgia poorly expressed and delivered in a kind of half hearted manner. And I don't think that's a good recipe for a song. Uh, there's just not a lot to it. This, of course, is about Neil's mm. days um, working at a, kind of a, a carnival of sorts, I guess, like uh, at Lakeside Park. There's allusions to 
uh, the 24th of May, which I definitely had to look up uh, because I'm like, what the heck is 24th of May? Like, that's not a holiday I recognize. And then I realized it was the Queen's birthday. Um, so there you go. That explains the fireworks display. Um, anyway, just not a very interesting song, honestly. It's it's not I don't think it's awful. Um, nothing we've heard so far I've really like hated, but it does like, you know, if I need to skip it, that's totally fine and go into my favorite song on the album. Why not? See, I can't say that that song left enough of an impression on me for even to like have an opinion positive or negative about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. It's the same. It's the same for me. I was like, this song is just like, I'm not even gonna like. I don't want to waste time talking about it. Even. It's just <laughs> like... <laughs> All right. So if you guys are too cowardly to call out the elephant in the room, I am gonna pull the trigger. Uh, for I think I'm going bald. Uh, not that it is musically a bad song, but if there's one person from whom I uh, have no interest in hearing about male pattern baldness, it is Getty Lee. <laughs> you sir you do not get to have that conversation <laughs> we would know we would know us molesky men know we know about yes baldness. <laughs> yes exactly look at my forehead <laughs> damn it <laughs> I, i'm in my early 30s and i'm already gazing at myself in the mirror like no 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 well uh so uh, I can't, Getty, uh you can uh t- love you but um yeah. take a seat Take a seat, my friend. <laughs> so I should point out something about this song, because I, like you know, and I heard this, is like, why is Getty talking about going bald, especially when he's, like, in his early is 20s? It, at this is point. this a tribute and to some, someone? So it is. It's actually a joke about Alex. Alex apparently was deathly afraid of losing his hair. Okay. And that was kind of the inspiration for this. Um also, somehow this is apparently a reference to I mentioned Kiss before, but apparently this song is a reference to Going Blind, the Kiss song, yeah. um, which actually like is, I would say not a huge fan of Kiss, but I think that's a better song than this one. Um, <laughs> so it just I don't know. It just feels like it feels like something they came up with on Spur of the Moment um, and uh, as a result doesn't quite. Uh, yeah, it doesn't quite work. What, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I just, again, like, just, you just get to the title and it's like, you know, this is not serious. Like, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, this is just like, they're just dicking around, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's one part of the song where I actually, like, I'm like, if someone wanted to check out here, I would completely understand. And it's the moment when Getty says, I think I'm going bald. And then he just like, then he says the same thing, but like much more with, you know, much more verb. I think I'm going bald. And just like, what, what am I listening to? (laughs) Yeah. Talk to me in 50 years, Getty. (laughs) His skeleton is going to keep growing hair. Yeah. Still have the glasses and the goatee on a skeleton or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, not uh, yeah, not one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about maybe some other things that we do like in this in this album. Um, and it's time to consult the words of the prophets because it's time to talk about our favorite lyrics on the album. Um, and I think I'll start this time going back to uh, Bastille Day. And one verse that really stuck out to me was this one. Ooh, bloodstained velvet, dirty lace, naked fear on every face. 
see them bow their heads to die as we would bow when they rode by. So the tables have turned, I guess, is the the vibe that I get from this particular section. Um, of course, this being a reference to Bastille Day, but also more largely to the French Revolution um, and, of course, the, the guillotine. Um, I get I think I just get struck by bands of this era, like bands that I think have a much more um, accessible reputation that have lyrics like this. <laughs> you know, I just am really fascinated by that. Um it's just surprisingly savage, which and a lot of the song <laughs> is. Uh, but this section in particular was was surprising to me, um, you know, and it feels like a warning, uh, you know, from the uh, from the have nots to the haves <laughs> about how quickly things can turn. And um, the song is very explicit, especially at the end, about, you know, while this is something that happened in history, this is not, um, you know, it is not isolated to history. It continues to happen, and it's a reminder to I think all the uh, all the haves in our current society as well um, of how quickly things can change. Um, and uh, yeah, it just I don't know, it just really struck me this time is like very foreboding, um, and uh, I think that's why it really you know really stuck out to me. Well, you know, it's as they say, the past isn't over; it isn't even past. Yes. That is definitely something I remember hearing from something. I can't remember what. I think it's Kurt Vonnegut. But if I'm wrong, don't come at me. I did some. Yeah, I, I'd have to double check that. Yeah. But uh, so what did you go with, Noah, for your uh, for your favorite lyric? I'm going to touch on uh, some that you guys have talked about. Lamneth. Lamneth, Lamnoth. And I'm going to go with a quote from pretty early in the song, I guess from the first section. The mountain holds the sunrise in the prison of the night till bursting forth from rocky chains, the valley floods with light. I am a huge nature guy. I'm a big landscape person, especially very stark landscapes where you have, you know, you know, like the the contrast between like mountains and valleys. So that's a lyric that is just perfectly attuned to my to my personal taste. And that's it, it just creates the perfect image in my head. Uh, so any song where the lyrics can hit that kind of balance and give me just a, a great visual to go along with the music, that is a winner in my book. You know, the song is kind of about this like looming, you know, that's that's something that's always looming, right? Like it's you kind of get the progression of a life throughout the song. And that's mm. this just recurring image that you get. And I think it does say something that's in lyrically. It's the one that stands out the most. Um, and also, I really like the way he sings that that part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, before it goes back into that driving riff, just really, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it really, um, it really works for, it really works for the song and what the song is about. I, uh, am going to stick to the fountain. I'm going to jump in the fountain with Noah for the, <laughs> wait, you're, uh, <laughs> your favorite lyric is not, I think I'm going bald. I'm thinking of going bald. I mean, listen, I, I don't, I'm not where you are yet. So, but uh, you know, give me a couple more years, I might have a different story. But uh, it's not uh, your favorite lyric, is and I'll still be gray my way. From the <laughs> internal rhyme. No, I went with, uh, I went with, uh, to sort of piggyback off what Justin said about sort of the progression of, or like a, a life cycle over the course of a song. I went with the very beginning, which is pretty simple. 
just says, I am born, I am me, I am new, I am free, look at me, I am young, sight unseen, life unsung. Now, aside from the fact that this is just something else that I can map my own existential crisis onto, you know, approaching the end of college and being like, what do I do now? Aside from that, I also like this part because, um, like, just mechanically, like, in poetry, I like it when people, like, do different things with meter. And, like, the, like, each of the lines in that part is, like, three syllables, I think. Yeah. It's three syllables each line, you know, and just like structurally, I like that they have a section like that where it's like very quick, like three syllable like snippets. And then they go into like the section like Noah was talking about where it's like more like longer phrases. Um, I just like the the space that that leaves, like that you can have lyrics still going but, you know, be leaving, like, lots of space, lots of time to, like, take a breath, like, just within each phrase, you know. I, I, I like it when uh, when writers don't feel the need to sort of, like, I don't know. Like, I feel yeah. like you could convey the same sentiment in a very, like, overblown way. So I just appreciate that, they, yeah. that you know, just the mechanics of that part. So... Yeah, no florid language in that part of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels, I don't know, it feels like, it really feels like a birth, you know? Like, there's a simplicity to it. There's a sort of um, reassurance with each line that they are, like you mentioned, like the same number of syllables. So it still feels like, it feels like he's, like, holding on to that youth for, for longer, um, which, yeah, which is the really cool effect. And then it kind of, if I remember correctly, it ends, I don't, the lyrics might be different. I have to take a look, but it ends kind of where it begins, if I remember correctly. Uh, let me see. I have them right in front of me. Let me take a look. Uh, yep. Yep. I'm in motion. I am still. I am crying. I'm still. I'm together. I'm apart. I'm forever at the start. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a nice, yeah, it's nice uh, full circle. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just a life, but like a life cycle. Like it feels like, yeah. it, you know, is ever, um, you know. It's the circle of life. <laughs> I did yep. moves, Getty Lee. Nearly 20 years before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not many people know Elton John was heavily inspired get, by the chant of Lamnet. He and Tim Rice. Getty Lee was the... <laughs> Getty Lee was the inspiration for the Disney Golden Age. Changed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, let's move on to the it's time to talk about the magic music that makes our morning mood, uh, where we talk about our favorite musical ever. moments. Yeah, I, I love that. That was the one we went with. That. <laughs> I will. I want that on my gravestone. Um, I think. Uh, Luke, why don't you start us off on this one? Right. I'm I'm sticking with Lamneth for this one, and it's in a similar, uh, it's in the same section of the song, I think, but it's it is two two chords, and it's the chords that uh, go. It's right before like the the band hits where they go like bag it a bop 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 ba doom bag it a bop. Mm-hmm. It's like the ba ba. Yes. Yeah. Ba ba. Like I I chose that because. Um, 
So just sort of as an aside, in my master's thesis, I talked a lot about um, like timbre and which is or or like tone color, which like in um, like in musicology and writing about music, like it's a really big deal to like talk about like, you know, like people look for like, you know, like discussion of like actual sound and like not just sort of like, you know, the um like the lyrical meaning of stuff or like the historical significance but actually sort of dealing with like timbre and sound directly and those two chords are are a moment that stuck out to me just because like the actual sound like the the timbre of the chords and the voicings of the chords i just find like really full and like you know it's just such a great like palette cleanser before it moves into like those hits that they then reference for the rest of the song um and i mean i'm not a guitar player so i don't know exactly what voicing it would be on the guitar but i just know that like i heard that and i was like you know it's just like just the actual sound of it is is so like great and fits it's just such a it, it's such a great like it, it's such a great like pivot point in the song you know it's just it's the perfect tool to like go from what you know to like move into something else so yeah uh that's it that's it for me those those two chords yeah that definitely sticks out to me every day i think that's the first thing i usually you know when i think of fountain lamb neff that's the first thing i hear in my head um which it feels like it was designed to do <laughs> Um, but yeah, it always, and it always like, I love how it'll just usually follow like a more quiet section and then I'll just go into, oh no, we're on to here now. Like, it's like, you know, kind of prepping That's, you. That, that is one moment where like, I don't feel it's very different from what came before, but I don't think of it as being incoherent. Like it feels like just because of the, the strength of that sound that it's like, it's not like I I well my ear welcomes the the change you yeah. know so yeah definitely a great moment <laughs> or moments I guess you listen to it and your 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 inner eardrum whispers into your brain thank you pretty much <laughs> pretty much I or yeah or like you know it's it's time you know something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is time. So what about for you, Noah? What's the what magic music makes your morning mood? So sticking with my favorite song from the album, and this is a big reason that it is my favorite song, the whole concluding passage of the Necromancer is oh, really? my pick. For me, this is this is the type of like just good, solid prog rock instrumentals that um for me define some of the best moments of like classic Genesis. It's just like, and like I said before, I find all the instrumental sections on this album really to be pretty solid. Um, the conclusion of the Necromancer for me is the best of the bunch. It's the one that stuck out the most in my brain. That was the one part of the album where after I listened through, I was like, I need to go back and listen to that again. That was good. That made me smile. That made my day. Um, yeah. And like I said, that's probably the biggest reason why that song ended up being my favorite on the album because it made the, it had, had the biggest impact on me. So it literally did make my morning mood. <laughs> hey. Hey. It, I mean, honestly, that section has its own kind of majesty. You know, I certainly hope that Mike Portnoy was listening to the whole album. Majesty. When he <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's funny, like, I feel like 
like there's very so far in their career like there's been very few bad guitar solos like i'm surprised how many of them are like very memorable and really like you know end up uh end up sticking with me um i'm gonna actually go a little bit further back in the necromancer in the uh under the shadow section section two um that long instrumental section especially but the thing i really want to spotlight it actually i was heavily considering that was my number two pick so, you want to talk yeah. about memorable, like you want to talk about maybe the grooviest section, uh, like of music on the album. That is <laughs> definitely one that mm-hmm. I can't like. Just is it's so catchy, like, and I really want to spotlight Getty's bass. I actually wrote mm. um, uh, Getty's tasty bass in the Necromancer <laughs> <laughs> on my document because it's just every time I hear it, there's just the groove to it is so incredible. <laughs> And yeah, I so love that it's, we have to add a new section to this podcast now. Getty's tasty bass. I mean, bass. Tasty we really bass. could. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> we really could. I could probably spotlight. I'm sure we could spotlight multiple bass parts on each of these albums that you know would be worthy <laughs> of discussion. The, uh, a rush themed seafood restaurant. <laughs> Getty's tasty bass. <laughs> okay. But I just I love that like he's really what he's doing is he's supporting Alex's solo in that section. But it's such a groovy thing that I just, I zero in on it even more than the solo in that section. Mm. It just like, and it ends up being the riff that Alex takes over later on. Um, It just, Mm. I don't know. It just really like, it really takes that song to another level. Like it just, it has, it's so infectious. And, um, you know, I just have to I I I'm, I know that um, people like Les Claypool from Primus have talked about Getty being a big influence on them. And I feel like sections like this are maybe why, because he's really kind of fl- like he's really taking a bass section, which should be kind of, you know, submerged, usually submerged in the mix and really making it a prominent part of the song, really making it like the driving mm. force. Um, and it just, you know, again, is a reason why. It's another reason why I love this band. Like they just take what was, tri- you know, the way that bass guitar was traditionally incorporated into rock music at this point and are just making it a prominent part of the music. Um, yeah, like so, in yeah. most cases, the bass supporting the instruments means the bass disappears. Right. And you can't yeah. like actually hear it unless you know, <laughs> unless you like know exactly what to listen for. And cert- I mean, there are certain albums that are notorious for just like uh, essentially eliminating the bass from the mix, which I'm just like, what? how could you do that? Mm. <laughs> like, it's a part of the music. But yeah, I just I love I love him here. Every time it comes in, it's just, you know, I got to dance to it. I'm sorry. There's just no stopping. No stopping me. I don't care how ridiculous I look. I can't heat in my heels tonight. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So definitely, definitely a really memorable moment for me. Um, so any any kind of final thoughts on the album, guys? We've we've kind of gone through it in pretty quick time, I think. Well, I think that's appropriate. I think there is in general, I would say there's less stuff to talk about in this album. Like there's nothing like heinously bad that needs to be like beaten on for a while. But but the, even the stuff that's good is not necessarily like. It's not on the same level as like, you know, Working Man or some of the stuff we're going to get to in later albums. So, yeah, even I mean, even in just a couple of years, I mean, you know, I'm thinking I'm thinking specifically of Farewell to Kings. But like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, like there is some there is some like it's 
Yeah, like you said, like nothing on this album is like particularly amazing to me. Like I do think that it is not one of their better albums. And yet I recognize that it is an important inflection point in the career, in the band's broader discography. And I do think it's significant in that way and should be acknowledged in that way, even if musically it's it's not uh, as outstanding as the things to come. Yeah, and I I guess I would just say, you know, just to reiterate from the, you know, what I was saying in the beginning, but I actually do, I I don't know if I'd say this album is as great as later ones, but I think the peaks on it, I do think are are great and ones that I listen to over and over again, Um, you know, which can, you know, I don't know if that says that maybe, I think that just reiterates the point that maybe this isn't a completely coherent album, but for me, the peaks really do stick in my mind enough where it kind of puts the album like makes the album good overall as a result yeah yeah but uh all right let's move on to other artists that we've been listening to and um i think uh why don't we have uh noah why don't you talk about what's uh what other artists has been good to you recently uh well the last time that we did this i was in the middle of doing my paul simon listen through and i and i uh, I just finished the Simon and Garfunkel stuff, uh, and I highlighted that last time, That and that was just all great. Um, I have now, since then, finished my listen-through. I went through all of Paul Simon's solo career, and that is a much, much more mixed bag. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about highs and lows. Um, you got, so let's break this down. You got his first three solo albums after the breakup. Uh, which are all which are all really solid albums. Like there's they, they've got multiple you know classic Paul Simon tracks on them. Then his fourth solo album post you know post breakup, One Trick Pony starts with Late in the Evening, which is a banger and is is just one of the best things he ever did. The rest of that album and then the entire subsequent album is basically Paul Simon easy listening, and Paul Simon didn't. Even in the best of times, he does not have the most engaging, gripping, and charismatic singing voice. Um, so Paul Simon Easy Listening is very, very easy. Um, <laughs> it's not bad, but it just it just it leaves zero impression. Then he skyrockets up with Graceland, and then Rhythm of the Saints, which is not on quite on the same level, uh, but it's still a really solid album. Then he has this huge. So you have like two high points right after that. Then he has this huge gap. He had a, I, I hadn't realized how long a hiatus he took. And then after Rhythm of the Saints, which, again, I consider to be like a, a very underappreciated, you know, solid album, he did Songs for the Cape Man, which was his effort to do a Broadway musical based on the story of a Puerto Rican youth in the 50s who had gotten involved in gang conflict in New York City, killed someone, Uh-oh. and then, at, and then at like, became lies refl- down. <laughs> well no hold on so there is an ambition to there that i can respect and i can understand paul Simon saying oh i like this story and he did like this was a the broadway production was a flop so i've not heard any of the broadway recordings i can't speak to the show but his decision to preempt the broadway production with an album version of hits from the broadway musical with him singing all of the songs with extremely incredibly mayonnaise white Paul Simon singing songs with uh, a lot of racial epithets in them. Yikes. 
it is a choice. It's a decision. Um, I can't imagine under what circumstances it could be considered a good decision. It's so there's, I get the ambition, but I'm just like, Paul, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> Who told you? And he, like, he does this to like gin up support for the Broadway musical. I bet that's the reason the musical flopped. People were like, oh God, no, we're not going to see this shit. <laughs> so <laughs> you get that. And then like, so that flops. And then the rest of the, the, the rest of the, so there's, there are moments on like, you're the one and like stranger to stranger where like there are individual songs that are, are decent, like hurricane eye. Um, there's even like the main track from songs from the Cape man musically is very interesting. And there's individual songs here and there um, that do work or that have a good groove, but, but none of it hits the same high. It's very, it's a very slow descent into sort of, mediocrity and irrelevance and it's just kind of disappointing by the end and there's you know like i said there'll be songs here and there like hurricane eye that i actually think are, are really solid um but then there'll be stuff like like you're the one has this one song i think the title is is sheep pigs and wolves and look i i wrote i sent i sent the track to you uh, like this was a song yeah. like back like Back when I first heard it, like over a decade ago, I was like, okay, this is one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. And then the whole time through this listener, I was like, I'm going to get there at some point. I'm going to have to listen to it again. And it's still one of the worst things I've ever heard. <laughs> there's another song. I, I'm blanking on which song. It doesn't even matter. But there's a song where he's literally singing over and over again, cars are cars all over the world. Cars are cars. And I'm just sitting there like, Paul. What are we doing? You wrote fucking Kathy's song. Hey. How can you know how to write good lyrics? Like, no, it's a, it's a state. No, it's a statement about the universality of of certain aspects of human existence and about it's a call to empathy. Noah, I I hate Jesus. Cars. And also, he also has an album that is like retreads of tracks, like redos of tracks from some of his from you know collect collections of tracks from his earlier albums, and. Out of all, I, I've done listen-throughs now. In addition to Genesis and Billy Joel, I've also done Blue Oyster Cult uh, and Peter Gabriel. And in all those cases, Blue Oyster Cult, Peter Gabriel, and Paul Simon, in all three cases, like some of the worst stuff are albums where they said, let's go revisit earlier songs from myself or other artists, but I'm doing them now as a much older person where I'm much less capable and... Um, flexible as a singer and somehow i've convinced myself that this is going to work out mm. like it's the weakest thing that boys cult did it was the weakest thing paul uh peter gabriel did it's one of the weakest things paul simon does i'm like guys who who does this anyway so no paul simon definitely is there's a lot more stuff to just kind of shake your head over out of all the listen throughs that i've done now of some of my favorite childhood artists paul simon's was the most challenging to date i have a couple of other i think the next band i'm going to do is the who just because when i just did my list that was that was the the band i happened to write down after paul simon um so there's no logic to it just for the sake of going through my list in an, in an orderly manner i'm yeah. probably going to do the who next um but so far paul simon as great as his greatest stuff is uh <laughs> approach his later career at your own risk like anything after rhythm of the saints i cannot recommend 
to anyone who is just starting on Paul's side. Like, do the good stuff first. And then if you want to, it's there, but you don't have to. No one has to. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think you and I know our completists. So it's like when we start, you know, when we get into an artist, we feel like we have to listen to everything. And, like, I actually will end up, like, you know, owning everything even though at a certain point especially i notice especially with solo artists it's like there usually is a point where i'm like wow this is a lot of diminishing returns and i guess i have it for whatever reason (laughs) but yeah i can i can relate yeah yeah um yeah i've been i at some point i'm gonna listen to his solo stuff but i will approach that later stuff with uh, a bit of trepidation (laughs) <laughs> I think as a result. Yeah, it, it's maybe just have it on in the background and just see what sticks out, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, what about you, Luke? What uh, what other artists have you been listening to? So I don't remember if I mentioned Bjork in our last episode, but I'm going to mention... Think so. Okay, good. All right. So I'm going to talk about Bjork. Uh, specifically, I mean, the album that I've been listening to, I'm not a completist like you guys. I, I can be satisfied with one album usually and just milk that to death. But um, I have been listening a lot to the um, Homogenic album by Bjork. Another album of hers that I really love is the Volta album, I believe it's called. Uh, but... Yeah, for for anybody who doesn't know, Bjork is like an Icelandic sort of like avant-garde singer who's famous for like doing really elaborate costumes on stage and having these like really kind of like weird arrangements and stuff. But I love listening to her stuff because like, first of all, lyrically, it's really, really interesting to me. And I think her lyrics are, are some of the most beautiful lyrics and also some of the most like idiosyncratic lyrics I've ever heard. Like there's a touch of like sort of like um, macabre or like darkness, but there's also like moments that are really beautiful. Like I pulled uh, an excerpt from the song All Neon Like from the Homogenic album that I just think is so like so perfectly captures like Bjork's lyrical style. And it says, don't get angry with yourself. Don't get angry with yourself. I'll heal you with a razor blade. I'll cut a slit open and the luminous beam feeds you honey, heals you. Don't get angry with yourself. I'll heal you. Luminous, I'll heal you. So it's just like, wow. Isn't that like, I'll heal you with (laughs) a razor blade and the luminous beam. It's like, (laughs) what? Like, you know, and it's just like, you know, so I just, yeah, like it, the thing I've always found with her music is that like at first it kind of like put me off or like uh, it takes me like a little bit to adjust to it. But then after I've adjusted, I just feel like the lyrics are some of the most like is genuinely like some of the most beautiful writing I've ever heard, you know, um, they and cut also into you like a razor blade. But the luminous beam feeds you. I probably sound like a total like drug addict <laughs> i it's so funny when you said l- luminous beam i heard luminous being and i was uh, like wow i never expected that that took a real turn <laughs> so. but um but no but the thing is too like it's not just the lyrics it's the lyrics paired with her voice and her melodies yeah. because like her 
the reason why her lyrics touch me so deeply sometimes is because like her melodies <laughs> just take they take their time and they they just soar in a way that I think few other singers do. Like like she'll Luke, just show us on Luke, show us on the doll where the luminous being touched you. No, I'm serious. Like her like just her melodies are so like they they they're so like sparse and like there's not a lot of like like melodic shifting or like vocal stuff going on. It's just like she can hit a note and like just the way that she negotiates her upper register and the way that she conveys the words and she like every word just feels like it has so much weight and it's like there's so much power and like strength behind it. Like I just it's it's truly like just one of the most singular musical things i've ever heard so i love bjork homogenic album i also wanted to spotlight um i've been subbing off and on for this country band and subbing for a country band has changed my opinion of country i just think that shit is so funny like (laughs) there's no way that most country artists take themselves seriously because it's just like it's just I it's just so fun to listen to. I mean, I hope for their sakes that that's the case. That they don't take themselves too like, seriously. Just, I, I, I pulled I pulled another lyrical excerpt from a song that I've played with this band just to show you the contrast from somebody like Bjork. This is this song, many of you probably know it's called Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy by Big and Rich. And there's a spoken word section in the middle of the song that reads as follows. <clears throat> I'm a thoroughbred, that's what she said in the back of my truck bed as I was getting buzzed on suds out on some backcountry road. We were flying high, fine as wine, having ourselves a big and rich time, and I was going just about as far as she'd let me go. And it just goes on from there. And Shakespeare wept. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's like, this is so dumb. Like, there's no way... It honestly sounds like Mad Libs. I <laughs> That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. But it's just like I don't know. I've just I've I've realized, I've realized that I if I approach country like with a sense of humor, I just think it's hilarious. And it's just so yeah, I just wanted to get two That's probably very, the best way to approach it. <laughs> two very yeah. different things cuz when I when I approach Bjork I don't feel like I have to do that. Like, I feel like I feel touched by Bjork's music. But when I approach country, I'm like, all right, I need to put on my, like, you know, funny cap, check my humanity at the door, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I feel like with a lot of, you know, I mean, it's not not certainly not the only genre that has fallen prey to this. But I think that certain artists have really, like, become so prominent that they've sort of defined what country is and you have to like I have to keep reminding myself that like, OK, not everybody sounds like Toby Keith. Like you can have, mm. you know, I don't know if either of you are familiar with Coulter Wall at all, but like listen no. to that. And that's like that feels like much more authentically what country is as opposed to, I think, the kind of country that you're talking about, Luke, where it really does feel yeah, like okay. they're I, not taking those seriously. They're like picking words country. out of it. Like they have like a glossary of country terms that they have to put in this on like yeah. back country, you know, so. Yeah, well, like, I, I think say, modern day like commercial country needs to be like cordoned off in its own district and like yeah irradiated. Well, but here's the thing: is there are some artists that are commercial, but like really like uh, the two I think of off the top of my head are Chris Stapleton and Luke Combs. 
Like both those guys can really what, no Lil Nas X. Well, I mean, I'm not. I don't listen to Lil Nas X all that much. But but point being, like Chris, Stapleton, he is our new Lord and Savior. I, I don't know. But but those those two guys, Chris Stapleton and Luke Combs, have they just have like perfect voices for country. Like there's just like this like gruffness and like you know. And and some of the songs that they have on their albums are really like they're they are just genuinely like great songs and really really well performed. So there is there is a range for sure. Yeah. Yeah, B- Bjork is one of those artists. I'm like, I know when I listen to it, like it, when I really like explore what she's done, I'm probably gonna love it. I really like what I've heard, but I've pretty much just heard like Army of Me. If I'm being perfectly oh, yeah. honest, yeah, which yeah, I yeah. think is fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, she's. She's a very interesting character. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot of, you know, uh, you know, she actually is very she's notorious as wearing like maybe wearing one of the most notorious uh, dresses at the Oscars um, back when Dance in the Dark was uh, was nominated, I believe. Wait, OK, OK, it's the so. one with the swan, <laughs> if you can, if I'm looking, I would definitely encourage you to look it up. Yeah, Hold on. let me pull up a picture of this. Yeah. Hold on. Bjork. Swan. Oh, right, whoa. Google finish yeah. it for me. Yep, yep, that's Bjork. Yep. 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 <laughs> so that's... why? Okay, why is this controversial? Uh, because it's not a traditional, you know, look for the Oscars. <laughs> I would say. Okay. But... Pe- people just don't do that, Noah. Well, okay. Um... Yeah. <laughs> But if you would like to make your way to the stage and slap the MC, I came, of age, I came of age in the age under the reign of Lady Gaga, so I've been a bit desensitized to uh, <laughs> bizarre dresses. Yeah, you have to try harder, yeah. Bjork. Try harder. Um, but yeah, I she's definitely someone I'd like to like learn more about and listen to more of her music. She seems like the kind of artist who has like a range of different like. You know, she's exploring different genres and and stuff like that, which I always approve of. But uh, uh, so I'm going to go somewhere a little bit different uh, for my artists. And I know I've I started off uh, in our first episode talking about another progressive rock band. Then I talked about more of a, a, you know, a pop artist, Um, you know, no more fucking around. It's time to talk about something heavy as fuck. Um, I'm going to go. I'm. If I haven't mentioned it before, I'm a huge metalhead <laughs> and um, a band that's been really good to me recently um, is a band called Death. Have either of you heard of them at all? Death. <laughs> yes, they're just just of death. Of course, there's yep. a metal band called Death. I want not to be a guest. They're Finnish. They're not. Uh, they're I actually was... from a far more savage place, Florida. Um, oh, <laughs> Oh. Yes, I can attest. I am in Florida right now. I <laughs> yeah. It's okay, it's Luke. We're coming to rescue you in a month's time. You're going to be okay. Death Santas I'm, can't hurt you anymore. I'm in yeah. Miami, so I'm in a better part of Florida. But nonetheless, it is a savage <laughs> yeah. place. It is. And a lot of, like, honestly, it was kind of a, a, you know, a breeding ground for death metal, especially, of which death me- death was a, I mean. <laughs> um, you know, when your name is death. They're definitely one of the pioneers. They didn't necessarily invent it, I would say. There's, But there's also a lot of debate in the metal community about who, you know, who was the first death metal band and all that. Um, but what I'll say about this band, uh, so for those who don't know, like I mentioned, they are from Florida. 
Um, they are considered one of the progenitors of death metal. And they had uh, a very revolving lineup and basically one consistent member who was the vocalist. He was one of the guitarists and he was the principal songwriter, uh, Chuck Schuldiner, who died very tragically in his, I believe, his early 30s. Um, he had a uh, form of brain cancer. Um, and yeah, just kind of a sad kind of a sad story about all of that. But before that, he managed to, I think, have one of the just most consistently um, just consistently good in terms of quality discographies of a metal band. Um, I don't think they put out a single bad album. But the thing that I really love about them as a band is that they were, despite what you might expect from a death metal band, you think, oh, death metal, that probably all sounds the same, right? They actually were the kind of band that really evolved their sound. Um, they started you know, in the late 80s with their first album, Scream Bloody Gore, um, which should give you an idea of the kind of music on it, very inspired by horror movies. There's even a song called Evil Dead on there. Um, But over time, I think they became much more philosophical, like, you know, and and much more, they sing a lot of songs just about, like, emotions and, and, um, you know, the way that, that, people act toward one another and yet it was still very heavy but it really was evolving they became much more technical and then they moved into more melodic stuff but all of it was very heavy um it was always unmistakably metal but it definitely shifted in tone and um it was a very conscious effort on Schuldiner's part and he, you know i will say that the band lineup really did um seem to shift and change depending on chuck's whim <laughs> at the time um, he was someone who seemed very uncomfortable with being labeled, uh, like ha- being labeled. We talked earlier about genres, and I think he was always trying to push against the expectations of not just metal artists, but a death metal artist. Labels um, are human constructs, man. I mean, oh. I'm a, <laughs> I'm definitely a big like death metal is probably one of my favorite forms of metal. I just I love the aggression. Um, you want to talk about people who don't take themselves too seriously it's not actually that different from the you know the sort of commercial country we were talking about earlier um you know i really don't think you can take it that seriously but um i think the other thing i'd say about them another reason why i love them so much is they really give you every form even though they are i guess you would say death metal like they really were incorporating um all the different forms of metal, whether it was the earlier, you know, more doom laden riffs of someone like Black Sabbath or the later galloping riffs of someone like Iron Maiden. They have all that, but then they're also experimenting with jazz fusion, um, with some more technical aspects of the music. They just always seem to try something new and manage to make it work, I think, and and still like be unmistakably metal. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's like if I'm I'm like, OK, I need to listen to something, you know, what do I want? Like, do I want something that's maybe slower, more lumbering? Do I want something that's a little bit faster? Do I want something that's aggressive? Maybe something that's more reflective. And with a band like Death, it's like if I want all of that, then I'll just go to them. <laughs> they really did seem to in a fairly short amount of time, about 10 years, um, seem to cover every facet of the genre, which is very impressive um if i have to recommend there's i mean i always find my favorite song of theirs tends to change depending on the last one i listen to um but the one i would say is maybe a good window into um the different things that they would try it definitely has like a lot of melody but also has some crushing heaviness to it is uh appropriately 
um, a song called Spirit Crusher on their last album, um, which kind of gives you a survey of all the things that they were capable of and just has one of the most amazing breakdowns, uh, you know, with that title. Um, I just love it every time. It's the kind of thing that gets me through. Uh, like if I'm doing a pretty tough workout, it's like usually the last thing I'm listening to when I can see like the finish line ahead. Um, it's it's just one of my go tos, uh, you know, along with many, honestly, some other bands as well. But um, I don't know if Death is my favorite metal band, but I really think an argument could be made that they may be the best um, that has been. So, um, yeah, just really, really love them. Um, and, uh, yeah, say what you will about Florida, but it really did have some of the best, uh, you know, it really was a, a birthplace for death metal and, uh, you know, some really great bands have come from there. So. <laughs> okay. Justin, as you were talking about this, I just refreshed my Twitter feed and, uh, mm-hmm. popped up someone with a, a comment on a poster for a new movie, Netflix movie called metal Lords with the tagline metal up your ass yes i've heard it's not nearly as uh, gnarly as that title or tagline would suggest i'm just i'm just um, saying the the timing was <laughs> fortuitous that that happened yeah. to pop up my feed right now and i'm i'd be curious to watch it because i like i can't say i'm an i wouldn't say i'm necessarily an expert but i certainly know a lot more about it like than i feel Try like a little bit of metal it's, up the ass maybe not yeah. all the way but just the tip Metal is one of those genres that I still feel like there's a lot, there is like a stigma attached to it. And I'm always feeling like I need to educate people because it has become like one of my favorite forms of music. Um, Like I, you know, at a time I would have said my favorite form of music is rock. And now I would say it's both rock and metal. Um, Yeah. I mean, and it's nice to see when they overlap too. Well, and you've, you've definitely like, you've definitely done that um, to me over the course of our relationship. I'm getting me to consider, I mean, I'm definitely, I, could never claim to be a metal fan, but I definitely have an appreciation of it. Um, it, It's just one of those, I've never taken the time to really get into metal music, but all the stuff that you've recommended to me that I've listened to, I've liked. Yeah. And I would say like with, with death specifically, they're the kind of band that I can't imagine any, everyone is going to be, you know, is going to like, like I wouldn't necessarily say that like, Oh, this is thing. If more people listen to it, everyone like, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I will say I'd be surprised if people couldn't at least appreciate what they're doing. Um, you know, even if it's not, the, even if this is not the kind of music for you, I think you still have yeah. to acknowledge everything that they're, you know, that they're trying oh, and, and I think succeeding I, at. Yeah. I think it's absolutely possible to say, okay, this particular style is not my taste. You know, it's not, I, I wouldn't listen to it in my spare time, but I can, I can appreciate that there is just as much artistry there and just as much, you know, technical effort and um, and mastery of of the craft as in any other form of music, you know. Yeah. Like country. Yeah. Yeah, really, like any form of music. <laughs> yeah, the band. Uh, it was Meshuga for me. Was the band that finally got me to appreciate I'm a big metal. Fan. Yeah, Meshuga. Yeah. They just put out a new album. Oh, which really? I haven't listened to yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just yeah, that was and it was only like just a few like maybe three or four years ago that I somebody showed me them and I was like, all right, I, I get metal now. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Thomas uh Thomas Hockey, the drummer, is uh yeah. just man, 
pretty incredible. Yeah. Some of their some of their breaks are insane. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Oh man, I could go I could go on and on about Mashuka. <laughs> next season. Next season, guys. Yeah. But we should wrap things up here. Um yeah. so let's talk about where we can find everyone online. And uh let's start with you, Luke. Where can we find you? Um all right, I have a YouTube channel that has uh a assortment of various musical projects I've worked on uh, under the name Luke Martin. Uh, it's got uh, the theme song for our last podcast. It's got a single I released a couple of years ago. whole bunch of fun stuff. I also have uh, a podcast on uh, the Breakcast, which I'm going to be resuming. Talking the Coda, check it out. Shit is fire. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) And uh, yeah, pretty much it for me. Yeah, I always look forward to seeing both like the person that you're interviewing and also the artist that sort of inspired them. Because I never know like what it's going to be. Yeah, so it's always fun to see. Uh, What about for you, Noah? Uh, Well, in addition to all of our work here, you should check out the work that Justin and I do with our good friend Alex Marcus on the Cinema Joe's podcast. And if you want to see any of my written stuff, you can check out my blog at francenoir.blogspot.com. Awesome. As for me, you can find my work at thecinemaverick.com. I'm also on the Letterboxd at the Cinemaverick, where you can see the movies I've been watching. Um, you can also, as Noah mentioned, Cinema Joes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Cinema Joes. We are also on pretty much every podcasting platform. Uh, Cinema Joes as two words, <laughs> if you're looking for it. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, that's about it for for us. Uh, but for now, I will just say a farewell to kings, queens, and in betweens from all of us. Thank you so much for sitting Time with us. Time for us to find our way back home. Indeed, indeed.